Lord, thank you, Father, for this privilege. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you so much for your grace and mercy in our lives, especially mine, Lord. Pray, Lord, as we look at your scripture today, the truth will be clear. I pray, Lord, you will apply it to our hearts. And I pray, Father, that we'll walk out of here different from the way we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I had a discussion with a co-worker. It doesn't really matter what the discussion was about, but he made the comment that the God of the Old Testament was mean and cruel, and the God of the New Testament was love. And if you know your Bible, you know that could not be further from the truth. In fact, he was suggesting that two different gods... Today I want us to look at what I just read to you, the introduction that Jude wrote to his epistle, that this introduction shows up a lot in the epistles in the New Testament, where mercy and peace and love is, is directed towards the readers. So I want to look at the mercy of God, and I want to start with the Old Testament. So... We could, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to encourage you as I go through these passages that you jot down the passage and read them in context. If I read everything that I had here in context, we would be here a while. Don't want to do that. So I want to start with Exodus 33. Exodus 33 in verse 3 says, uh, uh, there's a commandment to go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God is talking about the children of Israel, who he is calling stiff-necked, and I want to remind you that in the previous chapter, they had just completed making a golden calf as Moses was up on the mountain receiving the commandments. So God was a little angry, but even in that same chapter, in chapter 33, if you go down just a little bit, you read in verse 18 where Moses says, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. I will, show, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. So God does show mercy. The psalmist in Psalm 23, a very familiar song, in fact, uh, I love the song. When you hear the verse, you'll, you'll probably sing it in your head. But here's Psalm 23 in verse 1 where the Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd, literally Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness, start singing it in your head, and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The psalmist in Psalm 25 read, says this in verse 6, Remember your mercy, o, o Yahweh, you and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. So God's mercy has been from of old. In fact, Psalm 119, that great psalm, and the long psalm, 
And verse 156 says this, Great is your mercy, Yahweh. Give me life according to your rules. Great is your mercy, Yahweh, it says. And in Psalm 145, in verse 8, we read, Yahweh is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Yahweh is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. When I read that, I think we see the mercy of God right now as we just watch humans be humans in the world today. The mercy of God is is abundant. In Proverbs twenty eight thirteen, we we read, "Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy." So even the Old Testament prophets understood this. In fact, in the book of Isaiah. And if you read the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is a troubling book. The children of Israel are constantly disobedient. And again, I would encourage you to read these in context. But let me just start reading Isaiah 30 so you can get the feel. Listen to how it starts in verse 1. Ah, stubborn children, declares Yahweh, who carry out a plan, but not mine, who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. Not starting out good, is it? We can skip to verse 9. For they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of Yahweh, who say to the seers, do not see, to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Some things never change, do they? Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Then in verse 15, For thus saith Yahweh God, the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. Here's a change. In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust your Shall, your be, shall be your strength, but you were unwilling. Verse 15, Therefore Yahweh waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For Yahweh is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And I think this is the confusion that comes with some people God is just not a merciful God. He's a just God. And God will punish sin, and he will correct his people. But he's always willing to show mercy. In Isaiah 60, we read this. Remember, read it in context. Go back. Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Again, God will discipline, but he will show mercy. And then we go to the book of Jeremiah. And we know Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because nobody wanted to hear what he had to say. They did not want to hear it. And I'll just read a few, just three passages, really short. You can read them in context. In Jeremiah 16, 5, For thus saith the Lord, Do not enter the house of mourning, or go to lament or grieve for them, for I have taken away My peace from this people, my steadfast love and mercy, declares the Lord. 
But then we read in Jeremiah 31, 31.9, when weeping, with weeping they shall come, with pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, to Ephraim is my firstborn. And in verse 20, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares Yahweh. So you see it again. There is the, there is the wrath of the Lord and, and even the discipline of the Lord that we see over and over. And then we see the mercy of the Lord. The mercy of the Lord. He is not a mean God. He is not a, or as Charles Dawkins or, or Richard Dawkins likes to say, a maniacal God. He is a just but merciful God. One last one in Jeremiah thirty-three twenty-six. He says, I will reject the offering of Jacob and David, my servant, and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will restore, restore their fortunes, and I will have mercy on them, he says. So Isaiah understood the mercy of God. Moses understood the mercy of God. Jeremiah understood the mercy of God. And then we go to the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, remember, you should remember, in Daniel chapter 9, this is where Daniel is reading Jeremiah. He's reading the scripture, and, he real, and he's, in, he's in captivity. And he realizes as he reads scripture, he sees that God says he's going to eventually have mercy on this on, on his people and he realizes it's the mercy the, the you know the discipline will only last 70 years and it's close to the end of 70 years and Daniel begins to pray and he prays and he prays and he prays and you can read about that in Daniel 9 we're not going to read the whole chapter I'll just show you what Daniel writes verse 9 to the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him he says, verse 18, O oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name, for we do not present our pleas to you because of our righteousness, he says, but because of your great mercy, he says. And then remember that the angel shows up and angel Gabriel shows up and gives Daniel a wonderful um, Prophecy, which we've talked about in previous message. But right before, and that starts in verse 24, but listen to verse 23. And beginning, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a Lord went out, and I have come to tell you, to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And then he gives the prophecy. And that prophecy was a mercy. One of mercy. Daniel understood the mercy of God. Then we go to the book of Hosea. And if you know your Bible, you know exactly why I'm going there. And remember, Hosea commanded to marry an unclean woman, a prostitute. And he marries her. And she bores him children. And notice in verse 6, when she, when she conceives, her, conceives again, it says she conceives, uh, conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord and Yahweh said to him, call her name no mercy. No mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by Yahweh their God. I will not save them by bow, or by sword, or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. And so we see, again, there's, there's this 
just God and a merciful God. And if we go to chapter 2 and verse 19, I will betroth I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. And in verse 23, I will sow her for myself in a land. I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to, to not my people, that was one of the other children's names, you are my people. By the way, that's us. <laughs> And he shall say, you are my God. Hosea understood the mercy of God. Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, the prophets understood the mercy of God, his great mercy. But I want to go back now. Back to Exodus 25 and the Ark of the Covenant. For in Exodus 25 and verse 10, we read this. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length. A cubit and a half its breadth. And a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside you shall overlay it you shall make on it a molding of gold around it you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold you shall put the poles in the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The pole shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. We know why that is, because they weren't supposed to touch the ark of the covenant. They used the poles to carry it. And remember that one time where the ark tilted and someone reached out just to keep it from falling, and boom, he perished. And you shall put in the ark the testimony, it says, verse 16, that I shall give you, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherubim, cherub on the other end. And of one piece with the mercy seat, you shall make the cherubims on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above odor, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another toward the mercy seat shall their faces, shall the faces of the cherubim be, it says. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark and the ark shall, uh, shall you put the testimony in the ark, you, shall you put the testimony that I shall give. There I will meet you, he says. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So, even the high priest, by the way, understood the mercy of God. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 9, we read in verse 1, Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and the earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared in the first section in which uh, were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. And behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold. In which the golden urn holding the manor, manna and Aaron's staff that budded and tables of, of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of things we cannot speak. In detail, 
these preparations having thus been made, the priests go in regularly in the first section performing ritual duties, but in the second section, which is the most holy place, the uh, the high priest goes, but he but he once a but once a year it says, and not without taking blood, which he offered for himself and for the intentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. And we know what this is. What's the blood that he takes in? It's the blood of the spotless lambs, right? And those lambs, that blood is, is poured on the mercy seat. The blood is poured on the mercy seat. But I, the reason I read this to you is when I was studying for one of the messages I think I preached here, I came across something that I thought was very interesting. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 10 through 12, I just want to read it to you and I want to point something out to you. Concerning this salvation, 1 Peter 1.10, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired it carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating, which he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent for heaven. And then he adds this little comment, comma, well, that's English, but still, comma, things in which angels long to look. I want you to remember that. Angels are watching God move through time in what he does. And we go back to that mercy seat. What's that mercy seat like? Exodus 25, 12, uh, 20. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one toward another, Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. What are angels so curious about? The mercy of God. You see, we know that that Lucifer was able to take a third of the angels and rebel, try to actually take over heaven, and obviously wasn't successful. But two-thirds of the angels remain. What God is show, what, what God is doing here, I believe, is first, they, they see justice. Those angels that rebelled are getting justice. They're getting what they deserved. But the other angels, they don't see the mercy of God. And that's why we're here. Now, is that the reason? Yeah, the only reason? No. But the angels are watching God deal with us, deal with the children of Israel, and deal with humanity in, in general. And they're seeing the mercy of God put on display by the way he deals with us. Wow. Now, up to this point, we've seen God showing mercy but I want to direct you to Zechariah, chapter 7, in verse 9. The tables are going to turn now. Zechariah, verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 9. Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another he says do not oppress the widow the fatherless the sojourner or the poor let none of you devise evil against another in your heart now the command 
Now there's a command. First, we're watching God show mercy over and over and over again. Now the command that comes from God to us is to show mercy to one another. Show mercy to one another. That brings us to the New Testament. Again, I'm going to read through some verses. I want you to read them in context later. You got all kinds of homework. I know you're writing these down. I know you are. Or their video will be here later. You can come back and get them. But we start with the Beatitudes. You know, the blessed are. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. I think I got it out of, out of order. But, but then in verse 7 of Matthew 5, we read this. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus says. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall see. The, for they shall receive mercy. And then you can just fast forward a little bit in Matthew. In fact, do it with me. In Matthew chapter nine. Boy, this is small print. In Matthew chapter 9, remember this. Let's read in verse 1. I'll, I'll read a little context here. He got in a boat and he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. And Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. He said, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, why? Because he is God, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? I don't know, but if I was thinking evil in my heart and Jesus said that to me, I would... I think I would wake up, I hope. <laughs> For is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, rise and pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and he went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. And Jesus passed from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed. And Jesus, as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, thou, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he says in verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice came to call not the righteous but sinners he says I desire mercy and not sacrifice and he's talking to these self-righteous people who were not even not even considering that others might need the Messiah but then they themselves as well I desire mercy and not sacrifice and this happens a lot you remember when the disciples plucked uh, and go to go to Matthew 12 and we'll just look at it real quick in Matthew 12 we read that uh, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and, and to eat 
And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look at your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath to do. And he said, Have you not read when David, what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and he ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor was uh, for those that were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how the, how the Sabbath... How on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? They're actually working on the Sabbath. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And then he says this in verse 7. And if you would have known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not have condemned the guiltless. This is directed at them again. We're supposed to learn from this. But I think the greatest story that Jesus tells is the one of the unforgiving servant. Remember this one in Matthew 18 where this guy owes the king a ton of money. So much money that he, I've heard some commentators said he must have done something deceitful at so much money he didn't. And he, and, he, uh, and he owes this king so much money, and, and he begs the king. He's about to be thrown into prison, and he begs the king to, to have mercy on him, that he'll pay him, he'll pay him. And it's like, there's no way he could pay him. He'd have to work for the rest of their day, days and then have to live longer than he could to pay. It was so much money. And the king is moved with compassion. And the king forgives the debt doesn't give him time to pay it he forgives the debt I mean a great debt the guy is like yes and he leaves the king's present presence and he goes and he, he he comes across this guy that owes him 20 bucks and he says I need that 20 bucks and I need it now and the guy says I don't have it but I'll, I'll pay you and he Joking him is no, I want it now. You'll give it to me now. And the king's men happen to see this. They go back and tell the king, and the king was furious. The king was furious. And we read Jesus, here's the here's the lesson. Jesus in Matthew eighteen thirty three, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? You think this is really about a guy that owed king money? No, this is about us. When, when God comes and he finds us and he, ch- and he grants us repentance and faith and he saves us and he, and he gives this, this gift of salvation through faith, that is mercy. We, we've been shown this this. Mercy, because he's forgiving our sin debt, which is astronomical. And then when we won't forgive someone for a wrong that they've done to us, could it be as wrong as what we've done to God? No. Jesus says you should have had mercy on your fellow servant. Mercy. And I want to read to you Matthew 23, 23, where he says to the scribes and the Pharisees, he calls them hypocrites. He says, woe to you, hypocrites. Listen to how he condemns them. He says, you tithe and mint and dill and cumin, yet neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's not saying you shouldn't tithe, that you shouldn't give, whatever. But if that's if you're thinking that's the big things, you're wrong. you're missing Christianity. Christianity is justice, looking out for those that are oppressed and cannot help themselves, the widow or the orphan in that day. How about the unborn in our day? Faithfulness. These are the things that really matter. These are the things that really show that you're spiritual. Not that you give to a church. That isn't necessarily, even lost people can give to the church. 
and you should give to the church. But that doesn't that isn't that isn't a mark of great spiritual behavior. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Do these without neglecting the others, he says. And we go to the book of Luke. And we see Luke understands mercy. He says, His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Whenever I hear that, I'm, my heart is heavy because today our generation doesn't fear God. Not as a whole. Thankfully, there are the remnant that still fear the Lord. But Luke understands it. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation, he says. And then we could go to Luke, Luke chapter 10. Let's do that. Luke chapter 10. And here is where we see the parable of the good Samaritan. And I want to read, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but listen to how it starts. The lawyer stands up and puts Jesus to a test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You know he can't do that. And he hasn't done that. So what does he do? He knows that. He desires, desiring to justify himself, He says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says this. And he talks about the man going down from Jericho. And he falls among robbers. and, And a priest goes by down the road. And what does he do? He goes, passes by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite comes. These are the spiritual people, right? He saw him, and he passed by on the other side. But then a Samaritan comes. Jesus picks the Samaritan. Why? Samaritan's a half-breed. Samaritan's not fully Jewish. Part dog, as they would say. He's not spiritual. He's a Samaritan, you know? Some might say of us, we're from Ocean Way, you know? But so there he... The Samaritan comes, and what does he do? He had compassion. He went and he bound him up his wounds, and he poured oil on and wine on him, and then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and gave it to the innkeeper, and to take care of him. And and whatever more you spend, he says, I will repay when you come back. Good gracious. It's like, just take care of him, and whatever, whatever expense you have, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. Wow. Remember, he's, he's, this is to the benefit of the one who thinks he is spiritual. Who's my neighbor? Well, look what this Samaritan did. The one that you say. And then he says, which one of these three... He's asked the guy, do you think prove to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, Jesus is showing this man, you, you got a long way to go. He's showing him, if you think you're going to get to heaven by the law, you gotta you're wrong. But we are also seeing what God desires. 
you can, oh, I'll sacrifice my time and come to church and sacrifice my money and give or whatever. But what God wants to see, don't neglect those things, but concentrate on the more important things. Show mercy. Have compassion. Care about your neighbor. And one of the greatest things, by the way, that you could do when you care about someone if you know that they are going to hell, you'll talk with them. Even if it's uncomfortable, you'll talk with them, even if they might reject you. Because this is important. Would you want them to spend eternity in hell and not warn them? Have mercy on them. We could go to the epistles, too. Surely the writers of the gospel understood the mercy of God and that there's a requirement, not only that God does show mercy, but there's a requirement for those who are of God to show mercy because we are like him. In Romans chapter 9, verse 15, we, we know this, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy, he says. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. God's not required to have mercy on everybody. God chooses who he will have mercy on. In verse 22, we see, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power known, have has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So now we see the mercy of God again on display. And I sit here and I think the fact that I am standing in a pulpit in a church and declaring the mercies of God is mercy upon mercy. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this very thing. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. The fact that Paul, a mass murderer of Christians, was able, was chosen to go and to bring the gospel to the Gentiles is mercy. It's mercy. And in Ephesians chapter 2, turn with me there. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. These pages are sticking. Here we are. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm, I'm wrong. Ephesians chapter 2. Notice, notice what Paul writes. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of a disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's me. That's what I was. That's what Brother Steve was. I know his testimony. That's what we were. Verse 4, but God. But God. Being rich in 
mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, it says. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. We don't deserve this. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did he do that? He answers the question right here. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He did this so he can show us just how gracious and kindness he is in the time to come. I don't have a clue what that's going to be like, but it's got to be good. And to think we, our will rejected him. We don't deserve this. Oh, he's a great God of mercy. He's a great God of mercy. What a wonderful God. In the book of Titus in chapter 3, we read it like this. But verse 4, when the, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. <laughs> These people that say that you earned salvation, they're not reading their Bible. But according to his own great mercy, his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're heirs, joint heirs with Jesus. Join heirs with Jesus. First Peter 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. One last place I want to go. Clearly, it's clear that God is a merciful God. And I, if we leave here not just rejoicing in that, we, we're missing it. He is a merciful God. We do not deserve this. The children of Israel didn't deserve mercy. We don't deserve mercy. God, he is a just God and would have been, would have been just to just wipe us all out. But he's a loving, merciful God. And while we were sinners, while we were rejected him, while we blaspheme his name, I think of the things I did before God showed his, showered me with mercy. Denying his existence. What a great God he is. But in the book of James, chapter 2, we read about a in fact, turn with me. I want you to see it. I was going to summarize it, but let's just go there. James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality. I want you, we need to hear this. We need to, whatever, boy, this, this, every Christian needs to listen to this. Show no partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let the Lord, uh, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Has he not promised those to those who love him? Which he has promised to those who loved him. I'll get it right eventually. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and ones drag you into court? Are not they the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? You know what he's saying here? You're pandering to people with influence that probably aren't even saved. And, you, and they come in and you pander to them and you ignore your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because they don't have influence. And then he says this, if you really want to fulfill the law according to the scripture, you love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. For, who, who, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit, a, uh, if, if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. You can't pick and choose is what he's saying. Are you hearing this? You cannot pick and choose. And so he says, so speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. And then he says this, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So is our God merciful? Oh, yeah. Oh, big time. But if we're saying that we are his children, if we're saying that we're called by him and that we're Christians and that we're in Christ, God, God says, if you don't show mercy, you're not mine. You're not mine. Show mercy, church. Show mercy. Lord, thank you for this time. I pray, Father, that we will go out and show mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the great mercy you've shown us. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would stir up this message in us. I pray that we would be radically different than the world, would be obvious.